Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, consistently rated the best and most secure Bitcoin exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy and sell Bitcoin. With 24-7, 365, world-class customer service, you can trust Kraken to support you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Available at kraken.com or via the mobile app, which is available on the Apple and Android app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Warning. This podcast contains adult themes and loud music. It is July the 13th, 2019, and I am at the Shrine in Los Angeles, standing with 8,000 metalheads waiting for the band The Ghost Inside to come on stage. Good evening, everyone. We wanted to start by saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us tonight. It is the first show they played in nearly four years and will potentially be their last. The Shrine can hold 5,000 people, but after tickets sold out in just two minutes, the organisers moved it outside into the car park and an extra 3,000 tickets sold out in another five minutes. And when I boarded my flight from London, I still didn't have a ticket. But like thousands of others, I knew I had to be at this show, as this was a special concert, because four years previously, in November 2015, the band members' lives were changed forever. The driver of a tour bus is dead after a head-on crash with an 18-wheeler. The band, The Ghost Inside, was travelling on that... My name is Peter McCormack, and I'm a podcaster from the UK. I was that weird metal kid at school, the one with the long hair, a Megadeth t-shirt, and always listening to music. My journey into heavy metal started when I was just seven years old. My dad had bought me my first album, the final countdown by Europe. And quickly, my walls were covered in posters of their singer, Joey Tempest. And every Sunday, I would take the MTV rock show, The Headbangers Ball, to check out the latest releases. I went from Europe to Iron Maiden to Guns N' Roses. And then in 1992, everything changed when I discovered Biohazard. Hailing from Brooklyn, New York, they looked and sounded nothing like the other metal bands I was listening to. They were playing this genre called hardcore. It was a bit different. Metal with a hip-hop influence. Also, they just looked cool as fuck. So with that, I cut my hair, ripped down my Guns N' Roses posters, and I became a hardcore kid. The following year, I started a fanzine called The Plug. I would go to these hardcore concerts, and I would pester the bands for an interview, hoping to get the chance to just hang out with them. I hung out with Korn at their first UK concert and I watched Biohazard play the Kentish Town Forum from the side of the stage before their singer Evan dragged me over to sing the chorus of their song Urban Discipline. As a 15-year-old, life was peaking. By 18, I'd gone to university to study music industry management. I was going to dedicate my life to heavy metal. But it never worked out that way. Somehow I ended up in the advertising industry for 20 years before quitting and starting a podcast. And then this year, my life came full circle. After travelling to LA to watch the Ghost Inside comeback show, I approached the band and asked them if I could tell their story. I first discovered the Ghost Inside in 2014. From hardcore, another subgenre has evolved. It's called metalcore. And I'm going to play you a little bit now, so be warned, it is about to get noisy. Now, to most people, 
this just sounds like noise. I get it. I've spent my whole life with people saying to me, Pete, what is that noise? Well, how can you enjoy that? You can't even understand what they're saying. And it is a really hard thing to explain. Because metal isn't just about the music. It is about the culture too. Us metalheads are everywhere, hiding in plain sight. Lisa, who sits next to you at work, might be covered in tattoos under her dress. And Bob, who teaches math at the local primary school, might spend his weekends in the circle pit. Everywhere we go, we understand each other. And life is full of those little moments when you walk through an airport or you get on a train and you see someone in a Pantera shirt and give them a nod. So when the news came out that the ghost inside was involved in a serious crash, the whole industry came to a standstill. And when they announced their comeback show, like thousands of others, I knew I had to be there. So we were doing this thing called the Locals Only Tour, where for about 90% of the shows, we were the only touring band, and all the other bands were local. This is Jim Riley, bassist for The Ghost Inside. He's the oldest guy in the band. He's part band dad, part tour manager, always making sure things are running smoothly. Once in a while, what would happen is you'd have like a relatively local band who was doing a handful of dates, and, and their promoter would put them on that show. In Denver, it just so happened that we crossed paths with Ice Nine Kills and Wage War, who are friends of ours. And the promoter is like, you know, I know you're going for the locals only thing, but would you mind, like, these two bands are also playing a show that night? He's like, so either I have to have your two shows compete or I can put them together. He's like, and I'm happy to still put a couple local bands on it. We're like, yeah, sure. This tour was on the back of a great year for the band. Their latest album, Dear Youth, had hit 63 in the Billboard charts, unheard of for a screaming heavy metal band. They had also played their biggest show to date in front of 25,000 people at Rock and Ring, Germany's largest music festival. The tour was set to be 25 shows in 32 days across 19 states. Grueling, but not something the band weren't used to. They'd been doing this type of tour for over a decade. And on November the 18th, they rolled up into Lubbock, Texas to play their 21st show of the tour at Jake Sports Cafe. The show itself was like, Nothing really exceptional, only in that it was like very typical of the locals only shows. Like, you watch a little bit of the local bands, they were all like much better than you anticipate. And then by the time we play, everyone is just so gassed up and the show is like really good. One of the craziest things, like I, I'm agnostic. I come from like a deeply religious, faithful family and I'm just not. I remember staying up late that night talking to a friend of ours and she is like a, a pretty fundamental Christian type person. And I remember her asking me like, what to me are standard like atheist questions of like, so you don't believe there's a God or like, so what do you think happens when you die? And like some of these sort of like big philosophical questions. And I remember just being like, I'm comfortable with this. Like, I don't know the answers. And like, that's, I mean, that's enough for me. And that's like realistically the last conversation I remember having before the accident happened was talking about like the afterlife. Part one, the grind. I grew up in a uh, very musical household. My mother uh, is a singer and my father played guitar his whole life. This is Jonathan Vigil. 
He's the singer of The Ghost Inside and a straight-edge hardcore guy, which means he doesn't drink, smoke, or take drugs. I grew up on everything, like classic rock, you know, Beatles, Stones, and then moved into other stuff like, you know, Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult and, um, you know, some some blues stuff like Steve Ray Vaughan and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Like, like my dad was very, very musical. I had very musical household and it just, it just made sense. Going to school, I'd come home with homework and it didn't make sense. I was like, how does this, how does this work? And then I would put on a record and be like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And at a time in my life where a lot of stuff didn't really make sense, music always had. And so I just knew I wanted to be a part of that forever, basically. And uh, I didn't know I necessarily wanted to be a singer. You know, I thought I was going to be a guitar player. My, like I said, my dad played guitar. My brother picked up guitar and learned it really easy. I never did, though. It just never clicked to me. In 2004, in Los Angeles, California, the band formed. But for two years, they were known as a dying dream before changing their name to The Ghost Inside. The early years were all about relentless touring, playing as many shows to as many potential fans as possible. We always believed in what we did. You know, there was never a time when we were like, you know, is this the right thing? And we spent so many years just, you know, showing up to places, hoping there would be a show, you know, and we would show up after, you know, a 12 hour drive being like, oh my God, if we don't get, if we don't play and we don't sell at least five shirts, we're not going to be able to get to our next show. And we may not play it to, you know, hundreds of people a night. Maybe it's only like 10, 15 people a night. But if those 10, 15 people tell their friends and they come back, next time we go to somewhere else there'll be 25 people you know and that's always the mentality that you have to have like you have to just keep on that grind in 2008 the band released their debut album fury and the fallen ones a brutal 35 minutes of hardcore thrash metal and then got back on the road we just kept reaching and we would reach goals and we just kept going we're like okay now now what's next you know we're gonna play outside of our city cool okay we're gonna play outside of california okay okay cool like what's next or we're gonna book you know a west coast tour okay cool or we're gonna book this or we're gonna go all the way to the east coast okay cool and the band grinded playing tour after tour 172 shows in 2010 and 181 in 2011 but the finances for an up-and-coming metal band are tight Many struggle to even cover their basic costs. You have to make a lot of sacrifices to live the lifestyle that, that we did to pursue the uh, band route because it's hard, man. Because the first couple of years, I would say the first half of our, more than half of our career, you know, we were just, we were losing money on tour or we were just breaking even. The first tour that I did was the first of like three tours in a row with very short breaks in between. And I didn't fly home for the time in between the tours because the band didn't make enough money for me to fly from LA to Boston and back for just for a week or for 10 days or something. So during that time, Zach, who lives in Iowa, and I both just crashed on floors, couches, like under a friend's dining room table, whatever we could do to kind of like bide the time between tours. It is also a career. While bands have dreams of playing to thousands of fans, they also want to ensure that they can secure themselves financially. Getting a house out of it is uh, like the, the end dream. This is Zach Johnson, guitarist for The Ghost Inside, 
the guy who was sleeping under friends' tables with Jim. I was pretty happy to, to pay bills on time. You know, we were we were a very busy band at first. You, know, you, you just, you kind of have to grind. My first couple of years in the band, I think I might have had six weeks to two months off total per year. And, you know, in, in that time, we just went home and did laundry and slept and got ready for the next one. But, but yeah, you know, you start off playing, you know, opening a tour, opening shows for, you know, enough money to maybe get from point A to point B you know, in a van we don't own, staying on floors. It's a pretty normal startup for a lot of bands, but you start to see a little, little progress. You get bumped up to number two of four on a, on a show and there's no feeling like that in the world. Seeing, seeing the, the fruit start to come and, uh, you know, being able to afford like two fast food meals a day. It takes a special kind of person to want to pursue a career in music. You need the resilience to put up with the long tours away from friends and family, sleeping in tour buses when it's cold outside because you can't afford a hotel, and knowing if it doesn't work out, you might have to start a traditional career. But when you talk to the band, they'll all tell you the same thing. The experience of getting on stage and playing the show is why they do this. Oh my God. It's cooler than <laughs> any, any feeling in the world, man. It just becomes a, a blur at that point. You just feed off the crowd and the crowd feeds off you. And it's just like, you just go, it just happens. It just, it takes over your body and you just, you just perform. You know, I think our biggest crowd we've ever played to was Rock'em Ring. We played to, I want to say, not kidding, 25,000 people. We just went out, we just did our thing and it was, it was incredible, you know? And like, that was like, you know, that's a lot of people, you know? Like that's a lot of people at once to, to be paying attention to what you're doing. It's almost like a drug. <laughs> and it is very, very, very addicting. This is Chris Davis. He joined the band to play guitar in 2015. People talk about being tour sick and stuff because they miss that feeling of being on stage. And so it's like it's like one of those things where it's like no matter what's going on in your life during the day, you could be having the worst day of your life. But as soon as you put that guitar on and you step on stage and you hit the first note... It's like nothing else in the world exists for that, you know, time slot that you're on stage. Drama going on at home, you're having a bad day with your girlfriend, whatever, like none of that stuff even matters while you're on stage. That time is like for you and your four band members and however many people are in the crowd to watch you. But while friends are off climbing the corporate ladder, these bands continue to grind it out, day after day, month after month, and year after year. Some of my best friends in high school, when I told them I wasn't going to go to college and I was going to, you know, pursue music as a full-time thing, they told me that I was, like, ridiculous, that there was no way that would ever happen. And I think a lot of it, too, is is having the, the support at home and having the infrastructure because there's no way if I had to live on my own that I could have done it without 
without, you know, still living with family and having support of family? Because what kind of parents are like, oh, you want to drop out of college, you want to quit your job and you want to go on tour full time? Like, what what parent is going to be like, yeah, that's a good idea, you know? Luckily for me, I had, you know, I grew up in a musical household and my, my father was a musician. He understood and he, he told me long, 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 long ago, back before I ever started touring, he goes, you know what? You get the chance to do this, do it. He's like, you can always come back to school. You can always come back to work. You can always come back and do these things, but you don't get another chance to, to tour. You don't get another chance to play music. You know, you can't pick this up, you know, in your late thirties, forties, whatever it is, like you have to do it now. So if you get the chance, full speed ahead. The band toured off their debut album for two years, driven to play to as many people as possible, and in 2010, they entered the studio to record their second album, Returners, which would change everything. The album was a step up for the Ghost Inside. The songs had a more defined structure and they found a sound that they would make their own. Once we were touring off Returners, that was the first time I was like, oh my God, there's actual people outside of just the familiar faces showing up to our shows. When we would go the same places and shows would double in size, shows would triple in size. And it wouldn't be just because of the tour we were on. It would be because of the things that we did in our record. and. Remember that being the, the turning point, being like, holy shit, we can, we can do this for real. With returners came bigger shows and better offers for support tours, which would reduce the financial pressure on the band. And it wasn't long until they got their next big break. The band was invited to tour Australia as a support act on Parkway Drive's Deep Blue Tour. The, the first time we, we, we played a show that was on a scale like that probably would have been Parkway Drive in Australia. It was a River Stage, Brisbane, which is like a seven or 8,000 capacity amphitheater. It feels like we're just out of our depth. You know, we're like Motley Crue should be playing this, not TGI. But it's, it's, it's one, of those, one of those things that get, you know, gives you goosebumps and makes you want to keep, keep grinding and get to the point where you're you're the band playing last that night at that kind of venue. The idea of supporting Parkway Drive was massive. Like that's a moment where you're like, okay, we're gonna perform for three or four or 5,000 people every night. And if we can get 10% of those people to come to a show for us, that's gonna be the biggest one of our shows that we've ever played there's a bigger budget like you know instead of having five bands scrambling over you know six hundred dollars from the door instead like you know parkway drive guarantees that they're going to pay you x amount of dollars per show and you're able to like kind of build a budget and be like okay we're going to be able to afford these plane tickets like we're going to be able to get there and at least cover our expenses and the exposure of that is going to be a game changer for us in australia and it was the same thing in Europe, like when we first came to Europe and played all the big festivals for the first time, even though we were over on, you know, the, the seventh stage mud pit, whatever it was, we were playing with, you know, I, I remember Ice Cube was playing one day, like we met the guys in Papa Roach, 
and all these bands that at that time felt like they were 10 levels beyond where we were but our name was there on that poster like side by side with kiss and iron maiden and that felt like it was building momentum and putting us in a different category in terms of like who we were associated with you know like we may have been the bottom band on that big build but but that was different than being the top build local band at like our local bar getting to the top of that pile is amazing but it is not a career making thing to be like the best local band the band's momentum brought interest from bigger labels and before entering the studio to record the follow-up to returners they had to make a decision about who they were going to sign with epitaph was our dream label as guys that are a little older guys that came from like real punk and hardcore brett gruritz is punk royalty guitarist and founding member of Bad Religion, he created Epitaph Records as a vehicle for releasing the band's songs and was so successful that in 1994, he left Bad Religion to run the label full-time. They put out Rancid, they put out No Effects, like bands that are are formative to us were now going to be our label mates. And at the time, I believe they were putting out Parkway Drive and Bring Me the Horizon and, and bands that were still very relevant to who we were and what we were trying to do. But the legacy there was really the thing that like was undeniable. It was like a no-brainer. He could have offered us zero dollars and we had to give him our souls on the spot and we would have taken it. After signing with Epitaph, the Ghost Inside went into the studio to record their breakout album, Get What You Give, with the label fully behind the music the band wanted to make. At that time in the crossover hardcore, which we are of hardcore metalcore, melodic metalcore, a lot of our peers were going into the clean singing thing and they were adding, you know, the the singing chorus thing. And we actually went into Get What You Give with the mentality that we were specifically not going to do that, that we didn't want to feel like a cookie cutter band that was just doing what the trend was. A lot of bands at this time were complementing the screaming with singing parts. And while the Ghost Inside had veered away from that, the small amount of singing on Engine 45 turned it into a crowd favourite. You write the song Engine 45 and now you look at it in retrospect and you're like, that song sucks without the singing. With the backing of Epitaph and the release of Get What You Give, the band was able to jump another leg up by getting onto some of the bigger festival tours. One of the things about the festival tours like that is that you sell a lot of merch. There's a lot of people there. A lot of people hear about your band for the first time and they go buy a 15 or $20 t-shirt. And the band got to a point financially where we didn't have to worry about getting an advance on a festival guarantee in order to buy plane tickets to Europe. Like the band started to have running money in the bank so that we were able to cover like we were able to pay for the storage unit where all the gear lives for the year in advance. We were kind of like on a regularly scheduled salary, nothing crazy, but like we were able to count on like 
every month I'm going to get, you know, a thousand dollars in my bank account or however much it was from the ghost inside. And that will, I can count on that to pay my phone bill, my car insurance, you know, whatever. There became a, a quite a bit more stability. And when you reach that level, you're no longer looking at the tour that's going to happen in three weeks or six weeks. Like that stuff is already handled. That stuff is already like in the bag. We start looking at things that are going to happen three months or six months or even a whole year away. So you start planning much further in advance and you kind of know like what income you can expect to see over like a three month, six month, 12 month period, as opposed to like, where am I going to, where am I going to get my food money tomorrow? The band continued with their relentless touring schedule, playing 201 shows that year, but it was beginning to take its toll. By the time they headed back to the studio to record their next record, Dear Youth, the cracks were starting to appear. We were on the road so much. We were touring off Get What You Give and you know things were good. It wasn't like it wasn't like the band was wasn't doing well. We were always on on an upward upward trajectory, you know, we were always going there, but I felt myself getting more and more d- detached as I went. A big part of what I struggled with and why I wrote Dear Youth and the concept band Dear Youth was because, you know, when I joined the band, I was, you know, I was that 20 year old kid. And then you flash forward six, seven, eight, ten 10 years in my head, in my surroundings. I'm still that 20 year old kid, but life never stopped. I come home from tour. My friends would have moved out on their own. My friends would have gotten girlfriends, gotten wives, graduated college, bought a house, you know, like they, they progressed in life where my life didn't progress. And that was a hard thing to deal with. And that's kind of what Dear Youth was about was just reminding me of why I started on this path that I did. Dear Youth was was like asking my former self, like, hey, like, why did we why did we choose this for our life? Like, why is this something that we wanted? Like, can you remind me? Can you make me feel what it is? Like, why I want this? And you sacrifice a lot, you know, like, I don't have children. I can't imagine I ever will, you know, my girlfriend is, you know, we're both in our, you know, 35, 36, you know, like, it's, kind of like to start a family now, you know? I mean, it's it's just, it's a lot of sacrifice that I think a lot of people don't, aren't prepared for, you know? Like to, to make the, the commitment to being a full-time touring musician, it's, you have to sacrifice a lot and you have to really, really want it because the payoff is incredible. The payoff is like nothing else in the world. And I thought I was prepared for it and I was for the most part, but I, I had, there was a time where I had to physically, I actually genuinely wrote a letter to my former self. I wrote a letter, the dear youth letter saying, I, why did we start this? Is this really what I want? And I had to read the letter and be like, okay, you know what? Is this, this is the path I chose. This is what I want. The letter became the title track for the album and reignited the spark that they had lost. Dear youth, I'm writing to you now because it seems I've lost my way. 
I can't pinpoint exactly when it started, but it's not like it was before. I've realized that the more that time passes, the more we lose touch. It's starting to feel like all I ever do is lose touch with things, but not with you. I never wanted to lose you. I wish I had something to blame it all on, but I don't. One day I was there, and the next I was here, as if I was dreaming, then suddenly woke up. These days, I'm always wondering if what I've done is enough. It's starting to get harder and harder for me to shake this feeling of stagnance. So old friend, I'm writing to ask you what it feels like to have the whole world in your hand, where we could set out and do anything we imagine. Endless possibilities way before complacent set in. To be honest with you, I've forgotten what that feels like. There was a wonder about us that has long since faded. That sense of excitement, I miss it. Dear youth, will you show me again? I need to be reminded of those times back before this began. Despite the pressures the band were feeling, they finished recording Dear Youth and got back to what they know best, touring. Then, just a few months before the album was released, the band hit another goal, one they had been striving for their whole career. For me, the pinnacle of the band and something that ever since I got into this scene that I, I've wanted to do was be on Warped Tour. The Warp Tour is an annual punk and metal festival tour which plays in cities all across North America. We did the first year of Warp Tour and that was awesome. But then, not the following year, but the year after that, the 2014 Warp Tour, we headlined main stage. And being one of the headliners on one of the biggest festivals that you just that you just aspire to when you're getting into this music scene, like that was the pinnacle for me. That was the top of the top was headlining Warp Tour being like one of the big, big names on the flyer, being like, you know, the ghost inside alongside, you know, all these other huge headlining acts. And you're like, this is crazy. You know, like, like it was just, it was nuts, man. You know, it's like the ghost inside, less than Jake, you know, anti-flag, Mayday Parade. And like, it was just like, those were the headlining bands. And you're like, what is happening? This is crazy. I went to my first one when I was 11 years old. Maybe that's just why I, I always was like, this is what I want to do. And we were on main stage for all of the 2014 work tour. You know, we had played some of the bigger festivals over in Europe, but that's when we started to play later in the day in those, on those festivals. But that, that, that'll for personally for me be one of those, you know, pinnacle moments of being on that, that main stage every day. I could have retired happy after that. Dear Youth was released on November the 17th, 2014, entering the Billboard charts at 63, taking the ghost inside to a level they could only have dreamed of. We definitely exceeded any expectations I ever had. You, 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 wanna, you wanna believe in the things that you're doing and you, you wanna believe that you can reach these goals, but you know, some of them are pretty far-fetched. You know, you're like, when, when we were playing to 15, 20 kids a night, you, we weren't like, oh, we're definitely gonna headline Warp Tour. Oh, we're definitely gonna play, you know, Rock and Ring. Oh, we're definitely gonna chart 63 on the Billboard charts. You know, like, that's absolutely what we're gonna do. Like, da 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 you know, like, you want those things, but you don't ever expect them. And the growth our band had was 
it, it's kind of indescribable. It was just a, a whirlwind, man. It just all happened. It just kept going and we just didn't stop. I, I believe it was Rockin' Park where we played a hockey arena inside for the first time. I mean, we, we all... We got off stage and laughed about it. We're like, we're not supposed to be playing this big of a place, dude. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it feels right. And it's, 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 it's the dream. It's what you want to get to, you know. Every, every band, even if they don't say they want to, there's a part of them that does, you know. You, you, you want to get to get to that point and be able to, you know, be able to feel the, feel the dream, kind of. And they did feel the dream. With the success of Dear Youth came bigger festivals and tours, and the economics entirely changed for the band. You you do make money selling selling CDs, selling your music, and selling merchandise. Like that kind of money you can kind of kind of count on. You know, like whether it fluctuates here and there, like you can always kind of count on that kind of stuff. But you know, making money off tour is a whole different thing because you don't know how ticket sales are going to do. You don't know if you're going to go on this tour and it's going to be too ambitious. You're going to be playing these two bigger rooms and you know, the venue cost is a lot and you're going to come back with not a lot of money. You're going to come back with a lot of money. You know, it's like, it's, it's hard to kind of understand where you're going, what, what's going to happen. It's very easy to lose all value of money when you're like, okay, come back from tour, literally, your dream, playing music, having fun. Here you go. Here's just, here's here's $5,000. And you're like, oh, this is easy. And just as things appeared, they couldn't get better for the ghost inside. The cracks that had appeared during the recording of Dear Youth came to a head. A Dear Youth is, is really interesting internally because I think it might be the record that we are the least emotionally invested in as members. Making the record was really tough. There was like a lot of internal turmoil between Aaron, who was the main songwriter, and the other four of us. And to me, like listening to that record, I, I, all I hear are the things that we were battling about at that time. And it's hard for me because like Aaron is a good friend of mine again, but we had lost that friendship for a long time. Like we, we butted heads about everything. So I remember there being moments of like, the band is doing the biggest, coolest, most awesome things we've ever done. And all of them had this like bittersweet thing to them. We went to the Alternative Press Awards in 2014 and we weren't receiving an award. We weren't presenting an award. So technically like we didn't really have any reason to walk the red carpet, but it was within a week or so of when, when Dear Youth came out. So we called in a favor and we like got to walk the red carpet that day, but only four of us did the red carpet. And that's sort of like a perfect snapshot of just how things were, not just in that moment, but for that whole sort of like dear youth moment. We went to Australia and did a really incredible regional tour, like played 25 shows in Australia uh, with I Killed the Prom Queen, which is just unheard of for an American band, you know, like, Australian bands go and they do their regional tours all the time to like help make up their money during the year when they can't play, you know, Sydney and Melbourne. But American bands don't do that. They don't go to Wollongong and Katoomba and Toowoomba and like these little places in the mountains. And we went and did that. It was really amazing. But there was this tension in the band. We went to Europe as main support for Asking Alexandria. 
playing these great shows, just crushing. Dear Youth is being received like incredibly well. And there's this tension in the band. And then we came home from that and we did a co-headlining tour in the US with Every Time I Die, which is like the pinnacle of the band. We're selling out the biggest shows that have ever had our name at the top of the bill. We sold out two nights at the Glass House in Los Angeles, which is nearly 2,000 tickets. And at that point, we're feeling like, okay, like the, the band is really getting somewhere. And then Aaron quits the band. Around the time that Aaron left the Ghost Inside, my band was actually starting to wind down at the time. Guitarist Chris Davis explains how his band, Texas in July, was having their own problems. Our band toured a lot and through like some of the worst scenarios possible, not making any money, literally sleeping in a Sprinter van on the side of the road in the UK because we didn't have the money to like to get a hotel. Like we, but we, we just always went out and did it. But then we, we had like a six month stretch where like nothing went in our favor. We lost a guitar player. We lost a singer with all within the same tour. And then we got a new singer and a new guitar player. And the new guitar player got his girlfriend pregnant and was leaving the band. And then on the tour where he told us that, uh, we broke down in Montana for a week. It, in the middle of a blizzard, our bass player got jumped by a bunch of drunk rednecks. And then we finally get out of Montana and our drummer starts having like heart issues and we had to cancel the tour. And then we had to cancel a European tour. And it's just like, this is like, how much longer are we going to continue to like kill ourselves mentally and physically to go out and play these shows for, you know, if we're lucky, a hundred kids a night is, is it worth it? You know, is this benefiting anybody anymore? So that was literally around the time that I found out that Aaron was leaving the band. And I just told the Ghost Inside guys, you know, like, look, my my band's probably not going to do much next year. If if we're not breaking up, like we're probably only going to do one or two tours. And I, I got a call like two months later from Jim saying, hey, like, you know, Aaron did leave the band. If you have the time, we'd love to have you come out with us. There's no pressure for you to like quit. There's no pressure for you to be in our band, but we love you. You're a great guitar player. And it would be great if you have the downtime, like we've got this tour in the spring, some stuff in the summer. With TGI, I got to just show up and play guitar and enjoy being in a band for the reasons that I started wanting to be in a band, just because I enjoy the music and I, and I love the atmosphere of a live show. And my first tour with TGI was a a headline tour. And I want to say like the first three or four shows were sold out back to back in like five to 700 cap rooms. It was just a different thing. And then I came to Europe with them for the first time toured and I had done a European tour in a bus where, you know, you do the whole thing where it's a double decker bus and it's like three or four bands smashed into one bus together. But we, we got, you know, the, the guys had established themselves enough in Europe that we got our own bus and it was like way more comfortable of a tour, uh, touring lifestyle. I don't I don't know how, how to put it without sounding like arrogant, but it, it was like the kind of touring that I had always dreamed of doing when I started playing in bands when I was like 11 years old. That just seemed like an unattainable dream. And I and I know that it obviously gets much bigger, even from where. TGI currently is or especially was back then but 
the the comfortability level and like the feeling of like the all of the sacrifices to get to this moment were actually worth it you know like the the amount of validation that came from from jumping to that level of touring was really great in october 2015 after successful appearances at the download festival in the uk and rock and ring in germany the band set off on their locals only tour across the us after playing Lubbock, texas they got on the tour bus to make their way to phoenix we were all up super late because we were finishing a marathon of Star Wars movies <laughs> because it was right before uh, The Force Awakens came out and we were all going to go see it together in Australia. So we were preparing for that. So it was just like any other night, you know, we finished the show, you know, hung out a little bit and then went onto the bus and we're, we're watching the Return of the Jedi, you know, just getting ready to go to see The Force Awakens in a few weeks when we got home. And I just remember it just like any other night, you know, just on the bus and in pajamas just getting ready like stoked okay we have a day off tomorrow cool we're gonna go hit the mall we're gonna go do this we're gonna go you know whatever 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 went to bed and the next conscious moment i had was in the hospital a month later part two the crash is out next week it was like a very violent slamming of the brakes and my eyes, you know, shot open. And before I could even brace myself, like, bam, impact. I like turned and I looked and the whole front half of the bus is gone. And uh, he calls me and said, hey, man, there's been a bus accident for the ghost aside. And then he starts crying on the phone, starts tearing up. And he said, there's fatalities. But I distinctly remember overhearing someone saying, like, we have three bodies on the other side of the bus, like dead on arrival. This show was produced by Danny Knowles and Tom Pattinson, with additional thanks to Daniel Johnson for artwork. I do also want to say a massive thanks to The Ghost Inside for allowing me to tell their story, as well as giving me so much of their time. I need to also say thanks to John Youngman and Bing from Fly South Music, their management team. Thanks for all your help. Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, the best and safest exchange for buying Bitcoin, available at kraken.com, or you can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. I'm Peter McCormack. Head over to defiance.news, where you can download previous shows and watch my films.